I'm Plaz Anderson. Welcome to Mornings with Plaz, the podcast. It's my endeavor to explore topics of God, family, finance, and in fact, a better you. We'll have conversations with people who have a unique perspective and actions you can take towards positive change. Thank you for joining me on this journey. And the journey starts now. The Green Book was created in 1936 in an America where it was sadly necessary. The rising African-American middle class had the finances and vehicles for travel, but faced a nation where social and legal restrictions barred them from many accommodations. At the time, there were thousands of sundown towns, places that legally barred black people from spending the night there at all. Traveling through unknown territory, you could not count on finding a place to stay the night or even get a meal. The problem was addressed by Victor Hugo Green, an American or African-American postman who delivered the mail in Hackensack, New Jersey, but lived in Harlem. Uh, he began compiling what was launched as the Negro Motorist Green Book which was at first a guide that covered only the New York area, filled with ads for black-friendly and often black-owned New York businesses. By the 1938 volume reprinted, within the guide would cover hotels, restaurants, and other vital black accessible businesses for all states east of the Mississippi. The next year, it covered its coverage which reached out to the West Coast and the guide dropped its visually annoying green interior printing for more traditional black ink. Information for locations beyond New York were generally provided by the book's customers and often by other African-American mailmen across the nation. The demand was as clear as the need. Green retired from the postal work in 1952 to focus on his company, both publishing the guide and expanding into providing travel services. The guide grew both with more listings and various articles, travel lodges, travel advice, automotive reviews, and other things that might be of interest to those journeying beyond the, their hometown. In 1952, the title changed to the Negro Tra Traveler's Green Book with the explanation that the change was due to the fact the name was confusing and a good many people thought it was intended for the motorist only, but is used for 
any mode of travel. In 1956, the frequency briefly switched to two volumes per year in the spring and the fall. It was sold largely through mail order and through service stations, specifically through Esso stations. As Esso not only served African-American customers, they were willing to franchise their stations to African-Americans, unlike most petroleum companies of that day. The guide was offered by AAA and distributed uh, elsewhere with advice from the United States Travel Bureau, a government agency. Victor Green died in 1960, having already been out of the masterhead of the guide for several years. Others, including his widow, Elma, would continue his efforts. The Green Book lost its apparent vitality when the civil rights law of the 1960s brought about the end to legal segregation, and it disappeared a couple years later. Can you imagine being able to travel outside your hometown for the first time, eager and ready to go with anticipation and caution for what lies ahead on your journey from state to state. In this episode, I wanted to shine a light on the green book, The Negro Motorist Travel Guide. Much of the content was read from the green book to no credit of my own and not sponsored. However, since this is Black History Month, and I found this to be interesting in a way in which blacks traveled in a time referred to as the Jim Crow era, where the rights of blacks were challenged, to say the least. The term Jim Crow typically refers to repressive laws and customs once used to restrict black rights, but the origin of the name itself actually dates back to before the Civil War. In the early 1830s, the white actor Thomas Dartmouth Rice was propelled to stardom for performing minstrel routines as the fictional Jim Crow, a caricature of a clumsy, dim-witted black slave. Rice claimed to have first created the character after witnessing an elderly black man singing a tune called Jump Jim Crow in Louisiana, Kentucky. He later appropriated the Jim Crow persona into a minstrel act where he doned blackface and performed jokes and songs in a stereotypical uh, slave dialect. He later took it on tour around the United States and Great Britain. As the show's popularity spread, Jim Crow became a widely used derogatory term for blacks. Jim Crow's popularity as a functional character or a fictional character eventually died out. But in the late 19th century, the phase found new life as a blanket term for a wave of anti-black laws laid down after Reconstruction. Some of the most common laws included restrictions on voting rights. Many southern states required literacy tests and or limited suffrage to those who, whose grandfathers had also had the right to vote. Bans on interracial relationships and clauses that allowed businesses to separate their business uh, from black and white clientele. The segregationist philosophy of separate but equal 
was later upheld in the famous 1896 Supreme Court decision Plessy versus Ferguson in which the court ruled that the state of Louisiana had the right to require different railroad cars for blacks and whites. The Plessy decision would eventually lead to widespread adoption of segregation uh, in segregated restaurants, public restrooms, water fountains, and other facilities. Separate but equal was eventually overturned in the 1954 Supreme Court case Brown versus the Board of Education. But Jim Crow's legacy would continue to endure in some southern states until the 1970s. So for the last few minutes that I have on this podcast, I wanted to actually give you an inside look uh, to the Green Book and some of the things that I found interesting. Uh, For instance, in 1938, uh, they only have a few of the states that are listed. Uh, For instance, like you have Alabama, Connecticut, uh, District of Columbia, Florida, Georgia, Illinois, Kentucky, Louisiana, Maine, Maryland, Massachusetts, Michigan, New Jersey, New York, North Carolina, Ohio, Pennsylvania, Rhode Island, South Carolina, Tennessee, Virginia, and West Virginia. Those are the places that they have listed in the 1938 copy of the of the of the Green Book. Um, now, for instance, for Alabama, they have Birmingham, Alabama, and these places that I'm just randomly selecting are places that the African-American or the Negro at that particular time was called. Um, They could actually go and stay and hopefully be um, safe and be able to rest on their journey. So Alabama and Birmingham, uh, they had a place called Dunbar Hotel. Uh, It was at 316 North 17th Street. Uh, They had Fraternal uh, Hotel, 1619 North 4th Street. Palm Leaf Hotel, 318 North 18th Street. And then um, they had places called tourist homes. Uh, tourist homes were individuals um, that opened their homes up. And I, and I believe that really that's the original or the first uh, Airbnb was probably the way they did it here. And so the tourist uh, we have in Decatur, Alabama. A person by the name of Miss F. Hayes. Her address was 207 West Church Street. Um, They had another tourist, Miss S. Neal, 1317 Fourth Avenue. J. C. Oliver, 1335 Fourth Avenue. These are people in Alabama, um, Decatur, Alabama, Mobile, Alabama. There's a tourist, uh, Miss E. Reed, 950 Lyon Street. Miss E. Jordan, 256 North Dearborn. These are people that are listed in the Green Book from 1938. Um, Probably, obviously, are changed by now. And then I go to um, the book that I'm reading out out of actually has the four copies. And please pardon the noise. 
because I'm turning in the book, so if you hear the noise of the leaves. So the book that I have is actually showing from 1938, 1947, 1954, and 1963. And then, of course, the book stopped uh, print in 1963 due to um, its um, through the uh, civil law that was enacted, I believe, in 1964. So then the popularity of the Negro uh, Motorist Green Book the Traveler's Guide was losing its popularity. 1947, um, they had articles in here in Money for Negro Colleges um, showing how to go get the money for people from 1947 if you wanted to go to college. It actually had um, Negro schools and colleges in the United States, and then it listed actually where those places were, places like Alabama, Arkansas, Delaware, District of Columbia, Florida, and Georgia, and uh, uh, Georgia, and Ohio, and several other places that it listed. Um, like, for instance, in Ohio, it has listed here Wilberforce University. Um, we know that's a black college. Uh, we have Atlanta Atlanta School of Social Work, Atlanta University, Morehouse, Spelman, Clark, Gammon, Theological Seminary, Morris Brown University. 1947, it actually listed colleges and schools um, for people to go to. And then we have what I find personally interesting. In um, 1947, it lists in Indiana, Anderson, Indiana, uh, you have places there. You have Elkhart and Tourist Home, Miss E. Botts of 336 South St. or excuse me, 366 St. Joe Street. Evansville, you have Fort Wayne, Indiana, restaurant uh, owned by Leo Manuel's, uh, 1329 Lafayette Street. So I was tempted to kind of go by there even to see if there was anything that was close to that address or even a building there. It's just interesting because of a historical site. You have Gary, Indiana. You have French Lick, Indiana. And we were actually there at this hotel. It's a historic site, and it's actually a resort in French Lick. And then in Indianapolis, you have hotels, um, which were really mainly in that particular time. A lot of um, people of color could stay at places like the YMCA and the YWCA. YWCA was on 653 Northwest Street. This is in Indianapolis. Uh, YMCA, which is 450, um, 450 North Seneth Avenue. Hotels in Indianapolis were um, Zanzibar, 420 North Senate Avenue. You have a tourist home in Indianapolis. Morrist Fur Rooms, 518 Northwest Street. Uh, restaurants was Lastly's and A and B, um, Broden's, Park View, Greens, Stormy Weather, 319 Indiana Avenue, Log Cabin, 524 Indiana Avenue, and these are places in Indianapolis. You got Jeffersonville, you got Marion, um, Marshalls, and 414 East, Fourth Street, Kokomo, Tourist Homes. Um, these are people who would open their homes to people traveling through. Miss C.W. Winborn, 1015 Kennedy Street. Miss Charles Hardison, 18 Kennedy Street. Miss A. Woods, 1107 North uh, Purden Street. 
These are people who would open up their homes for folks who travel. Lafayette, you have Michigan City, you have Muncie. Muncie has hotels YMCA, 905 and a half Willard Street, South Bend, Terre Haute, Evansville. So you have different places like that. And then finally, um, in 1963 and 1964, you have Indianapolis um, that had a Blue Eagle restaurant on 701 Indiana Avenue, Foster Hotel, Guest Hotel, Perkins Restaurant, uh, a Severain Hotel, Trade Winds Motel at 2922 Madison Avenue, YMCA and YWCA. You have Kokomo. Again, you have the person um, listed from 1947. She's listed again here in 6364. Miss C.W. Uh, Winburn, Tourist Homes, uh, 1015 Kennedy Street. Uh, Miss Charles Hardison, Tourist Home, 812 Kennedy Street. Miss uh, S.D. Hughes, it's a tourist home. These are the Eric B&B homes that would open up to people if they're traveling through and they need a place to stay so there you have it and i hope um that you were interested in some of the information that i shared with you and um and until next time we'll do another episode and um i hope that you tune in and i'll actually have another off um set of this podcast but i'll do a live and then so i actually show you how the book looks and then it, it, I just find it interesting of how we were able as a black people or people of color to travel. And so um, until next time, God bless. Talk to you later.